Hey team, welcome to episode 99 of Transition Talk, where we talk about dental transitions and how to navigate the sometimes messy path to practice ownership. So for current and future practice owners, keeping up with the financial world and all of the evolving pieces can feel quite complex. To gather perspective on the state of the market and economy, we've invited Kane Waters & Associates partner, Brian Bortz, to lend his expertise. Brian is a CPA, an investment advisor representative, and also the chairman of Kane Waters Investment Committee. He holds memberships in the AICPA and the Financial Planning Association, and he's a fellow Aggie. <laughs> Brian, welcome to Transition Talk. Hey, thank you very much for having me. I'm uh, excited that I am on episode 99. I appreciate you not waiting until episode 100. No, no pressure, no <laughs> pressure. I'm going to leave that one for Mr. Loretto. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, I think everyone, whether we're in the dental industry or not, is kind of thinking about this investment world we live in. 23 was very tumultuous, depending on who you are and where your money is and what your perspective is. You might have different opinions there. And so I'm excited to talk to you today. And so I'm going to start with kind of a big, broad question, and we'll just sure. see where we go from there. What's currently going on in the economy and investment market? And then kind of once you answer that kind of second part is like, how are private practice owners? being impacted by what's going on? Sure. Yeah, that's a, a broad question mm -hmm. because uh, the economy, there's a lot going on in the economy right now. I always try to educate our clients to separate the economy and the investment market. The economy is, is major things like growth and inflation and unemployment, mm -hmm. big stuff, whereas the stock market's the stock market. So for the economy, they measure it by kind of the gross domestic product or GDP. And right now, our GDP is growing at 5%. And historically... The average is, is about 3.2%, and that's like over the last 80 years. So we're actually growing at a higher pace right now than usual, which is great mm -hmm. for the dental industry. You have consumers like you and I, you know, we just got finished with the holiday season. And uh, I don't know about you, but I had to find a parking place and I had to mm -hmm. wait in line when I wanted mm -hmm. to check out. So consumers still make up 68% of GDP, which means that people are still spending a lot of money. Yep. But the real kicker here is inflation. And that's what's been kind of driving all of the economic decisions that we've gone through for the last couple of years. Inflation for a very, very long time had kind of settled around 2%. And then it spiked in 22 all the way up to 9%. So it went from 2% to 9% really quickly. And it is now back down to right at 3%. And the Fed has said that they want it to be two to three. So we're kind of back to where they want things to be from an inflation standpoint, which bodes well for interest rates, which mm -hmm. we'll talk about here in a little bit. The other thing that I think will affect the dental industry is where the unemployment rate is right mm -hmm. now. The unemployment rate is only at 3.5%, 3.7%. As recently as the end of 2010, unemployment was almost 10%. So, I mean, historically, as long as unemployment is around 4 or so percent, we're in good shape and we're actually less than 4%, which means, and most of our docs will be able to tell you, if you're going out to find a new associate, if you're going out to find a new hygienist, if you're going out to find a new office person, it's really hard to find mm -hmm. someone that doesn't already have a job. Yep. And so that leads to wage inflation and other problems. So that's what's happening in the economy. Interest rates are still high. Mm -hmm. you know, historically speaking, they're just a little bit above average of where they used to be. But that was so long ago that nobody remembers that. Coming from the valley. Yeah. And, and so when you think about interest rates at the end of 2021, they were basically zero. And December of 2021 was two years ago. So they were literally zero. And then they kind of have peaked now 
at you know the Fed funds rates at five and a half percent. The overnight rate for treasuries, like savings accounts and things like that, you can get a savings account for five, five and a quarter, five and a half. And so they have this thing that's called the yield curve that kind of measures short-term rates and long-term rates. And usually, if you're willing to lock your money up for five or 10 years, you're going to get paid more. Mm-hmm. That's not the case right now. So right now, we have what's called an inverted yield curve, which means that short-term rates are higher than long-term rates. So nobody's willing to lock up their money for a long time. And because of that, it actually is an an indicator of a recession. And nobody has really admitted that we've been in a recession. I've been telling all of my clients that for the last year or so, there have been plenty of evidences that we are in a recession. One is, uh, has the market been down by more than 20% ever? Well, in 22, it was. Did we have two consecutive quarters of negative GDP, that thing we talked about with growth earlier? Yeah, we did. The first two quarters of 22 were that way. So all of these technical signs show that we've been in a recession that has not been admitted to. And the Fed basically is trying to fight through inflation and fight through a non-admitted recession. And they've navigated it pretty well, actually. And so I think that we are coming out of the other end of that now. And the market has really priced in that the Federal Reserve is going to cut interest rates this year in 2024. So, you know, that hopefully will be good for the market. Mm-hmm. But uh, it also will be good for our docs who are looking to buy into a practice and other things like that as well. Yeah, that goes directly into kind of what I was thinking as you were talking, because it does feel as a consumer and just as someone who has seen this kind of go through from a lending standpoint from buyers, that things were bad and things are getting better, right? And so that recession talk, it it feels as though we're coming out of something, whatever we would technically want to call it. We're starting to come to the other side of it, which I think is good news. Clearly, we have experienced this. You said that they're not that high, but from someone who could have gotten their loan at 2% and now they're at 7%, that feels incredibly large. And then lenders too, I mean, it, it hurts the cash flow, right? So a, a practice that might have cash flowed at a 2% interest from a loan debt service standpoint might be challenging at a 7 or 8%, especially if they have other debt that is in that in that wheelhouse of having a, a higher interest rate. So given kind of where we are today, where interest rates are, what advice would you give to like a new person who's looking to own, who is like, oh man, do I wait? And do I not get a loan today and try to see where this goes? Do I get it today? You know, we get this question a lot. So like sure. with your experience, which is wholly different than mine, very brilliant in this area, what do you tell someone who's you looking know, to own or get a new loan? For all those listening experiences, it's a really polite word of saying how old I am. No, so, no. I've been, I've been doing this for like 30 <laughs> years now. Yeah, I started in 94. This is my 30th year. Congratulations. Um, thanks, sort of. <laughs> so what I try to use that experience or wisdom to let people know that, yeah, rates are higher than they were two years ago. Yes, but they're not as high as they have ever been. Mm-hmm. And really, when you look at the current state of interest rates, they're just slightly above a historical long-term average. And so do I believe that interest rates in general will come down this year in 24? I mean, my crystal ball is as clear as anyone's, but I would say, yeah, probably so, a little mm-hmm. bit. Does that mean that you should wait? You know, that here's the thing about waiting. Opportunity is there when it's there. And so you can always finance something at terms that you hope will improve over time. And if they do, you can look to then take the opportunity to either refinance or reprice that note. Mm -hmm. So there's so many different options for borrowers right now. Lenders are trying to create teaser rates. Lenders are trying to create kind of uh, shorter term rates that will get you or bridge you through until the Fed lowers rates. And then you can look at taking advantage of those lower long-term rates at that time. 
What should a buyer not do? What's something that they should avoid doing at this point, given that not so crystal ball, crystal ball that you're thinking about? Yeah. You know, I I don't think that there's ever a rush to do any transaction. I've always given advice to my clients of if you're going to do a transaction, then make sure you understand what you're getting into Mm -hmm. and make sure what the different paths are of getting out of it if you ever had to. And, you know, in buying a business, you never want to think about in those terms, obviously. But there are very few things that are done that can't be undone. And so what I would advise someone to not do is worry about how crazy permanent this feels. Yeah, You know, this is a choice that you're making to own a very high income producing asset. And, you know, I think that it's one of the wisest decisions that you'll ever make is being your own boss. I tend to really like being my own boss. (laughs) It's kind of nice. That comes with a lot of non-financial perks too, trust me. But I would say that what you don't want to do is don't put too much weight on this decision. You know, you want to have an advisor and you don't want to do it alone. If you do it alone, you're bearing all that weight. And that's just not your expertise. So I would tell you that to answer your question, what you don't want to do is do it alone. Yeah. And we have always said that it feels permanent and it feels heavy to say, hey, I'm going to commit to this 7% or 8% interest rate. But if the underlying thing you're buying, right, is strong and has a good cash flow and is not something that you're taking a lot of risk on, you have the ability to refinance that. Even yeah. if it's four or five years from now, sure, we don't know what the rates are going to be. But right. at the end of the day, we have the ability to do that. You said something earlier, though. You said banks are doing like teaser rates. We've seen banks, and I want you to explain that term, but we've seen banks where it used to just be a flat rate for 10 years. Now they're doing a five-year rate with like a balloon or a five-year rate, and then it becomes variable. Is that what you're talking about with that? Well, I've also seen really constructive lending to where they will say, hey, for the first 12 months, it's no interest. And then we'll amortize it out for the rest of the life of the loan. Well, at that point, who knows what rates are going to be, right? And so you're going to start to see more creative terms like that from lenders because everyone is anticipating rates coming down. You know, one other thing I want to add to your last question of what not to do. I'm really pretty passionate about not having our clients get into a loan that has massive prepayment penalties. Mm-hmm. You know, make sure that you know, earlier I made the comment of, hey, know how you're going to get out of it if you need to get mm-hmm. out of it. And what I meant by that was getting out of the loan. And if you need to, make sure you know that you can get out of that without having to pay a, a gigantic prepayment penalty. Most of the lenders will have those, if they do have them, they'll go away after a year or two. Mm-hmm. And at that point in time, allegedly, rates should be lower. So Yeah. And we see a lot of the stair-stepped prepayment penalties. So maybe year one, it's heavy. Year two, maybe goes away or steps down and, you know, for subsequent years. So yeah, I think that's an important component. Does this market remind you of any previous market that you can kind of call back on in that 30 years? It does. Yeah. So if you think about where the world was right before the tech bubble, so we're talking like into the 90s now. Mm-hmm. And for some of you out there, that's the 1990s. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the uh, the market was led by this group of stocks that were called the Nifty 50. And in essence, what they said was, uh, you don't need to look at all 500 of the stocks in the S&P 500. Just look at these 50. And that's basically where all the returns coming from. Well, fast forward to today, there's not 50 stocks that they're looking at. There's only seven. They call it the Magnificent Seven. And it's ridiculous that's how they, they, those seven stocks out of 500 make up 30% of the index. And, you know, barely 1% of the stocks make up 30% of the index. And it made up the vast majority of the return in the S&P 500. Why that matters is because coincidentally at the same time, a lot of other advisors were saying, oh, you don't need to have money managers or mutual funds. Just go out and buy the indexes. 
Well, if you buy an index, the S&P 500 is a, is a weighted index. So if you buy an exchange traded fund or an index fund and you put $1,000 into that, most of your money is going into those seven stocks. Yep. A third of your money is going into seven stocks. The other two thirds is going into 493 stocks. Mm -hmm. And so that has a self-fulfilling prophecy on both the upside and the downside. If people start to sell the index, the stocks that are going to be sold the most are going to be the largest. Apple, Microsoft, NVIDIA. Those companies, if people start selling out of the index, those companies are going to probably have a little bit harder hit than uh, the rest of the index. So yes, we've seen times like this before. And that's why our investment team led by our chief investment officer, Hunter Satterfield, and we work with Brad Sanders, managing director at Tectonic. You know, those guys, we team up and we talk literally daily about strategies of, of how we protect our clients from situations like that. Yeah, that was another one of my questions. And you've kind of answered it. But if there are any other items like that, but how does someone who is cusp of retirement, maybe in the next couple of years looking to retire, they have their egg that they've built up, and they're hoping to add this last chunk? And how do they protect that and make sure that their retirement plan can kind of stay in place, and that they can kind of live out that goal that they've been working so hard for? Sure, yeah, you know, I used to famously have an example of Hey, I'm going to retire right now. I just retired, just got finished with the retirement party. And my wife calls me and says, Hey, I need you to stop by the store on the way home and get a gallon of milk. And I walk into the store and I spend $3.99 on a gallon of milk. And I walk out of the store and I just realized I just spent $4 of my life savings. And uh, <laughs> it happens. Retirement is 90% psychological, 10% mm -hmm. financial. And, you know, that's why you work with an advisor, because you know, we have developed a distribution strategy that helps to put your mind at ease. It needs to constantly be reviewed and looked at. But we look at what is a safe distribution rate. We look at things like that. And most of the clients that I work with are either retired or getting close to retirement. And the one thing I will tell every client when they retire is you will go through another recession. They happen every seven years. And so you will have multiple recessions and multiple market pullbacks when you're retired. And your pile will shrink during those years. And it's scary. But over time, we've already planned for that. So through either diversification or risk management, we reduce how much you have on that drawdown to protect you in those times. And so over time, as the markets recover and the portfolio recovers, you end up in a much better place than you thought. But fear is a real thing whenever you can't go out there and just go earn another paycheck. That's for sure. So interesting because fear is a big player on both sides of this and working with buyers who are fearful that they're taking out this huge loan and am I going to be able to pay it? It seems like this just monumental task, right? And you've seen people go from there to fully yeah. to retirement. It's a really yeah, cool thing. I'll tell any of the buyers that are listening out there, you know, the best investment you could ever make is the investment you make in yourself. And this is the investment that you're going to make in yourself by owning this business. And there's a cost to any investment you make. And whether that cost is perceived to be a little high right now because of interest rates, just understand that you're still making an investment in yourself. And this is the right answer. Oh, okay. Well, I wanted that to be the end, but I still had a few more questions. So we're just going to have to like go forward and hope I can come <laughs> up with another good ending. Thanks, Brian. Happy to do it. Okay. So we get loan proposals. We have buyers. We have sellers who come to us and say, hey, this lending market is challenging. The practice itself is decent, maybe not super strong cash flow. And so therefore it has lending hurdles. And so we've seen these proposals. So I just want to get your thoughts on, and I'll caveat that whatever Brian's thoughts are now are not thoughts forever. You know, like this is hypothetical, but how do you feel about about 
balloon payments on loans. We know how you feel about prepayment penalties. We have that. How do you feel about balloon payments on like the five and 10 mark when they're big balloon payments? I will tell you, I always caveat this with my clients as well. I bring my biases to the table. Yeah. Always. I don't like prepayment penalties, as we've mentioned, mm-hmm. and I dislike balloons even more. Yeah, me too. Um, because you have no idea where the economic state of this country is going to be in five years, seven years, 10 years. And so you are committing to having a big pot of money that you're going to give to somebody five years from now, and you don't know where that big pot of money is going to come from. Mm-hmm. And so from my perspective, I dislike balloon payments. And, you know, in Times of economic uncertainty and interest rate uncertainty, lenders tend to try to push those a little more so that you can get into the business. Mm -hmm. And I will tell you that with the right relationships that you can work on avoiding large balloon payments. Well, and I also think we've seen them when they're trying to win a deal by having a lower interest rate, because I I feel very much the same. It stresses me out for someone to take a balloon payment because that's just not how I function. But, you know, they're doing it because they can get half a percentage lower on an interest rate. And I'm saying, but but do the 8% instead of the seven and a half and know that you have a secure rate for the entire loan versus having to come to the table with that big pot of money. And I think if you're a buyer out there who's listening to this, like don't get caught up in it's a fraction of an interest rate lower, right? Like right. try to look at the holistic picture of what you're doing and what the long-term ramifications of are those. Yeah, you uh, just nailed things. it. It's the holistic picture because when a bank is lending you money, they're making you an offer. And in that offer, there are multiple terms. One of the terms is how long you have to pay it back. Mm-hmm. One of the terms is how much are we going to charge you? And another one is the interest rate, you mm-hmm. know? And so all of these different terms work together. And a lot of times borrowers get so hung up on, did I get the lowest rate possible? Mm-hmm. Remember what the interest rate really is. There is someone silly enough out there to give you a million of their dollars <laughs> so that you don't have to use a million of your dollars. And they're going to do that for the low, low cost of whatever the interest rate is right? It's financial leverage. Mm -hmm. And over time, if that's not the best rate and rates keep coming down, then you find yourself with the opportunity of refinancing. When I first started at Cane Waters, the first year or two of all of my new clients, we were coming through an interest rate transition. And one of the main pieces of value that we added was helping our clients restructure their debt and refinance their debt. We would refinance houses. We would look at refinancing their business, refinancing their equipment. It was just because interest rates had come down so much. So there was an opportunity there to take advantage of lower rates. You don't have to get the lowest rate today because if rates go lower, you can get it tomorrow. How do you feel about seller finance? Boy, I'll give you the standard consultant's answer on that one. It depends. Yeah. Seller financing can work and in certain situations works well. I'll give you an example of one that worked great for my client. A client of mine who seller financed and he was getting ready to retire and probably had enough in his pile to retire, but was really kind of on the edge there. What seller financing allowed for him to do was to continue to get an income stream for the first 10 years of his retirement. And then he also sold his building. So he sold his building over 15 years. So he had a 10-year note coming in for the practice and a 15-year note coming in for the building. And it gave him an income stream. Yeah. And, you know, we talk about in our wealth accumulation podcasts mm-hmm. about, you know, one to one, two to one, three to one, and how money grows. And it grows exponentially like that. When you retire, that money behaves very differently. And what I mean by that, when you're accumulating money, lump sums matter. So the more that you can kind of get lump sums into your pile early, they can compound and double and do better. But now when you're retired, it's not about the lump sum that you bring to the pile. It's about the income stream that you bring. 
And that particular client, he had an income stream, so he didn't have to pull from his pile. And uh, it helped his pile to grow. Yeah. And so that's one that, that was very successful. There are others that, you know, you have to think about the tax ramifications. And under current tax law right now, if you have a uh, seller financing deal, it's typically an installment sale, mm-hmm. which means that you have to pick up all the bad tax first, which is all the ordinary income tax. And you have to pick up all that stuff usually in the first year. And so the, I've seen different transactions where clients were just like, we're going to do it this way. And they were negative cash flow in the first year. So you have to be careful. It can work and it can be a great thing, but you really need to make sure that you have an advisor to help you run through all the traps. Yeah. And hopefully listen to other 99 episodes. There's a whole slew of other bad and good that you have to consider when you're doing seller financing. But in an interest rate situation, you also have to think of if you're a buyer listening, what are the other options the seller has to do with that money they're going to get, right? Especially if they're younger, if it's not a retirement situation, but it's more of a partnership situation, then that time value of money starts coming into play. And if you haven't listened to the Wealth Accumulation podcast, you very much need to. Absolutely. So, I mean, buyers or sellers. Okay. So I'm going to ask you to do the impossible task of coming up with two more words of wisdom. It can be repeat because I think everything in this podcast, you probably could listen to twice and still gain something from. So one piece of advice for buyers who are listening, who are looking to buy, and maybe that seller group that is looking to kind of maybe think about transition and maybe is nervous that is this the time to do it given the current climate we're in? Sure. I think for the buyers, always keep in mind that the best investment you'll ever make in your life is the investment you make in yourself. I went through this as well. And I I tell everybody this story for my clients who are thinking about buying practices. I had to think about whether or not I wanted to own part of this business. And it was not without its own little challenges Mm -hmm. as well. And so it was the best decision I ever made in my life. I will tell you. Probably the scariest. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And it's never a no-brainer. If it's no-brainer, then you you don't even ask for advice, right? Mm -hmm. For buyers, I think the most important thing to remember is that you're making an investment in yourself. There are costs to that, and none of these costs are permanent. You know, that's the other thing to always keep in mind. Think about the fact that you're going to be here for the next 10, 15, 20, 25 years or more. And over that period of time, you're going to have the opportunity to lower those costs if that opportunity comes up. So it's not permanent. For sellers, you know, I think there's a lot of different types of sellers, right? You have sellers who are exiting the practice and you have sellers who are bringing in partners and you have different people at different stages of their life. I'd say for a seller right now that, you know, make sure that you really are comfortable with the person that you're transacting with because transactions are stressful Mm -hmm. and you want to make sure that they know what they're getting into so that you can be there for them as well. I don't think that having someone come in that's not educated about the process is going to be an easy person to deal with, and Mm -hmm. they may change their mind halfway through. And then as a seller, what are you left with? You're still trying to sell. So make sure that you know who you're working with. And I think trying to time, get the perfect timing, Mm -hmm. there's never perfect timing. I mean, we have no idea what's going to happen tomorrow in the markets or the economy. And so trying to find that perfect timing is fallible. So don't strive for perfection. Strive for something that works for both parties and you create a win-win. Yeah, absolutely. And I think to piggyback on that, I think finding people who can help you through these complex and challenging and emotional and insert all the other adjectives process is really, really critical. So if you're a seller and you're not sure what your retirement plan looks like and you don't know what your pile looks like and you don't know if it's ready um, or what you need to kind of live for that however long post-retirement, then clearly Kane Waters is a incredible resource. And so that's KaneWaters2Ts.com. And then clearly you can reach out to us if you need an introduction there. And then from a transaction standpoint, we know what our services are, right? We've talked about them and it doesn't have to be us, but you have to have someone that is knowledgeable about what you do. 
Um, yeah, I just couldn't imagine going through this process without some guidance. And, no. uh, and you guys do a great job. I'm biased by saying that, of course, <laughs> you guys do an amazing job to help our clients. So. We always joke that um, even with all the resources, you still get a real estate agent, you know, even with Zillow and Redfin and all the things, you still get a real estate agent. And so these are big decisions with lots of complexities. And so, well, I learned something myself today on our episode. And so I'm so appreciative of you. Thank you for being here Thanks with us. I've really enjoyed it. And team, that's all we have for today. Thanks again to Brian Bortz for visiting and sharing his investment market economy knowledge. If you have questions, you know where to find us. Go to ndptransitions.com and fill out a contact form. And thank you for joining us on episode 99 of Transition. As always, make sure to share the transition love with those who may not know of us yet. And of course, subscribe wherever you listen to your podcast. Until next time, friends.